You're listening to the Modern Web Podcast. For more podcasts, videos, and events, find us online at modern-web.org or follow us on Twitter at modern.web. That's M-O-D-E-R-N-D-O-T-W-E-B. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Modern Web Podcast. I'm your host, Rob O'Sell. I'm an architect at This.Labs. Today, we're very excited to sit down and talk with Kayla Swing. Kayla is a Magnolia JS Conf organizer, flight control engineer. We'll explain what that means if you've never heard of flight control. Um, and just all around, jack of all trades, just gamer. Southerner, I don't know what else you identify as, but welcome, Kayla. How are you doing? <laughs> doing good, doing good. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, identify as a lot of different things. Just, I got all kinds of stuff going on, I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, well, one of the first things that we wanted to talk about was about Magnolia Conf, Magnolia JS Conf. And, you know, first of all, I'll, I, one of the things I love to ask people when they're a conference organizer is kind of, why? Like, can you explain how you got into this and, and to some extent where you find the passion to keep organizing this? I mean, I know how much work goes into this. So can you explain kind of how you how you get into this? That's a fantastic question to ask, because uh, I mean, sometimes, especially the the closer we get to the conference, but just far enough away to where everything hasn't come together yet, then it's like, yeah, I'm asking myself that why. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so Magnolia JS was first started by JC Hyatt, like in 2019. Um, and so just as a way to get some tech conference in Mississippi, because there wasn't one. Um, and so, yeah, he did like a whole thing. I think all that stuff's still out there, but he did a whole thing about planning in public and whatever, and he organized the conference in like six weeks or something. Um, and so that was like, and that was a big deal for the tech uh, community in our area uh, at the time because we, you know, we had a developer meetup that uh, I believe Natter Dabbit started that. Um, and so, yeah, it was great to have. I guess an official conference to where we can just welcome people to the area and show them like what Mississippi's actually like. Um, but you know, a couple of years ago, his, his priorities shifted. He was ready to start a family, whatever he's you know trying to take a step back from uh, everything. And so he handed it off to me. Um, so now uh, my husband and I run it, my husband, Richard, um, he's also a software engineer. So uh, yeah. And now we have the help of our friend, Monica, who's more of a marketing person. Uh, but She's been like a huge help, huge part, part of what keeps Magnolia running. And so, um, so whenever I get to those points where I'm like, why do I do this? Um, she's like helping me push through and break out of it. Um, yeah, it, I mean, and it's got to be tough to do it as a volunteer uh, basis. I mean, as we mentioned, and, and we'll talk about some more in a little bit, I, you also have a day job. <laughs> so, <laughs> right, uh, exactly. You know, I, my uncle, he actually got into first as a volunteer, and then it became his full-time career. He uh, plans and hosts a music festival, a relatively small wow. music festival in, in, in sort of central Minnesota. But I know that in the months leading up to it, he gets increasingly... 
Uh, you can't get a hold of him. He, he just is so consumed by everything. And then the event happens and every day is just a whirlwind of these many people are calling because this person needs this. And oh no, this is out. And he runs around like crazy for, for the three days of the event. And then when it ends, he just sleeps the sleep of the dead. Like, oh yeah. <laughs> um, and then he's just back to normal and then it's already on to the next thing. So I mean, like, uh, you know, I don't know how that matches with your experience, but I mean, just like, I'm sure it's both a, a high, but it also has got to be one of the most exhausting things you could think of to do. Oh, yeah, definitely. And especially because, like, I feel like we're still at a point where um, a lot of people don't see the benefit, especially outside of Mississippi, don't see the benefit of having a tech conference in Mississippi. Um, and so that that leads to a lot of, I guess, hardships and frustrations for us um, with, like, getting sponsorships and stuff like that because, like, yeah, we're, we're a smaller conference. We're more of a community focused conference. Um, so it's, you know, f finding companies to help, help us, I guess, actualize our vision and like promoting the tech community in Mississippi and kind of uplifting this area and showing people that, Hey, there are developers here. Um, yeah. And just like getting people outside of Mississippi to kind of wrap their head around that and want to help us is still a challenge, especially for me. Cause I, like, I'm an engineer, right? I am not a salesperson. Um, so all I can do is like tell people why I do it. Um, and then just kind of like speak matter of factly about where we are and where we want to go. And, um, and yeah, just those kind and of I, things. And if anybody's listening that hasn't been to either Magnolia or a conference that's like it, it is phenomenal. I mean, this, the sort of the smaller community kind of conference feels you get to know people, I mean, almost all the people really, really yeah. well. Um, you know, you really, you spend a lot more time in contact with like the hallway track means something totally different at, at these kinds of conferences. And it's very energizing, especially in places, you know, maybe Mississippi or, you know, a lot of other places where they don't often have a lot of big events. I mean, that can be for those local developers, the biggest event of the year and the energy you get from those uh, is is amazing um and so i yeah. i know that's why the speakers i know that have gone have enjoyed it um and the people that have traveled to attend it have enjoyed it as, as well um and so you know i think that's a, a big reason why people should look to that um and again probably a reason why the sponsors should be interested in it because you know, maybe where you're used to getting five, you need 5,000 devs foot traffic in order to get a handful of contacts in order to get a, a smaller fraction of leads to get a couple sales. You're going to get a bigger impact on a smaller amount of, of, of people that you meet, I think, at a conference like this. Absolutely. Yeah, that was one of the biggest, like, uh, I guess, positive points that a lot of people came out of last year with was just how, like, I mean, of course, from an organizer standpoint, we were not like, we were kind of disappointed in attendance and whatever, just because like, you know, sponsors want to see that. And so we were like, okay, well, if we want to keep this conference going, then we needed more people. But that was like, I mean, it made me feel so much better when after the conference, everybody was like, no, it just made it more intimate. And so I actually got to talk to the people I wanted to talk to. Like, I think it was I mean, if you wanted to go up and talk to a speaker afterwards, you could, because like there wasn't a line. It wasn't like, oh, I need to hurry up and catch them before they get caught in the crowd and disappear. Like none of that. It was um, like all the speakers were around all the time. And yeah, it was it was really nice. It was very, very nice. And like, yeah, speaking at Magnolia the first year, even before I started organizing, 
like, I mean, that's what I feel like that's what led me to where I am today. Uh, mm-hmm. Cause I was, you know, working for a local tech company, found out that I was not making what a lot of my peers were making across the nation. And mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. Um, that's what, like, I fully attribute Magnolia specifically, but also going and speaking at conferences and just attending conferences to like how my career has gone. And you know, what's interesting too, is for the astute listeners, you might've heard that the first year of Magnolia was 2019. And of course, nothing notable happened in the years following that. But uh, so you've gotten just to see this in one of the most trying times for, for conference organizing or just any sort of social event organizing, obviously with the pandemic. I know that from the conversations I've had with some conference organizers, this is the year that people are kind of feeling like things are kind of swinging back into whatever you would want to call normal. Um, how do you, how are you feeling about that? How have you experienced it from like last year and, and the events that you've been to kind of like, how are conferences looking to do and doing this year? Um, yeah, it seemed like last year people were still kind of like hesitant about going out. And that was why it was really important for us to have like an online component and a hybrid component. And that is something we'll, we'll continue to do because people enjoyed it so much. And I know that like some people buying a Ticket to go to a conference is a lot of money, and then uh, you know paying for travel is a lot of money. So we want to make sure that people can still watch from home if they want to. Um, but yeah, from what? Of course, I, we just got back from React Miami um, a couple weeks ago, and yeah, I mean it seemed like things were more or less normal um, there. Uh, we're naturally risk averse people, so we'll probably still have some kind of <laughs> COVID restrictions. Uh, but we'll see how it we'll see how uh, it, it is when October rolls around. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm hoping that more people will be comfortable coming out and um, just be be willing to do it. And I think both with the timing, because we're we're not in like peak conference season when we're going to have our conference and. Um, yeah, maybe people will have gone to other conferences earlier in the year and kind of like felt out how mm-hmm. how it was going yeah. for them. So, um, yeah, I feel like this year a lot, of, like you said, a lot of people are kind of coming back out. Um, I think mm-hmm. some people are a bit adventurous, or a little bit ahead. Um, but I, I've also noticed a change. I mean, you've been to conferences from before, um, sort of COVID as well, and mm-hmm. conferences were always one of the best things you could do for your career. Um, that doesn't mean that every conference was worth the price, but <laughs> conferences in general, as a general idea, were always one of the best things you could do uh, for, for yourself if you, if you handle them correctly. But this year, I mean, we had the opportunity to go to Connect Tech and do some interviews and, and podcasts from there. And I was more in, you know, energized at the end of that conference than I was at almost any conference I've ever been to. And, I, and I've noticed it also with local meetups. People are coming back with so much energy and kind of just general love, like just general wanting to meet people, just wanting to hang out, wanting to talk. These conferences, like you should get to them this year if you can, because it, it is so much more energizing than I remember. Yeah, um, I, I 100% agree. And I don't know if it's just because like, you know, we've been locked inside or whatever for a few years or what, but um, yeah, like, it does feel different now um, than it did before. Yeah, it, it like, got so I weird just, too. 
yeah it got so weird too that like people like are stopping at booths like at sponsor booths and it used to be that you know you would try to like not catch eye contact and not get the spit you wanted to grab some stuff so you just kind of walking by like that and now i feel like even people are walking up to booths just like let's have a talk let's talk to each other and you're like wow okay yeah let's 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 chat you know yeah absolutely well great well what is um you know, I feel like, you know, you mentioned streaming as being one thing that I think differentiates conferences from each other, whether or not to continue streaming when, when you go kind of back to this live model um, or not. Um, and, and other things like from the conferences and the organizers that you've spoken to and you've seen, what seems to be, if, if you will forgive the people listening, a gaming sort of word here, but like the conference meta, like what is, what is, how are people kind of reapproaching this? Because I know a lot of conferences and meetups sort of died off during COVID and are either having to be reestablished or, you know, restarted. And, and, and my hope is that we've, we've spent this time becoming wiser and we can, you know, sort of like front end devs are kind of exploring the back end again and getting reacquainted with the back end and reincorporating into what we know. I hope we're taking with us some of the online only lessons that we've learned and sort of rolling those into live events. How have you sort of seen and how are you approaching kind of what a conference will mean going forward and how it should be organized? Yeah, well, I mean, since especially like our first year, the first year I organized it, which was remote, um, it or was virtual. It was by that point, people were kind of sick of virtual conferences. Like people were yeah. ready to go back in person again. Um, and so that's why like every, like it was a hundred percent free to watch it because like, I don't think that you should have to pay for a virtual conference. Um, sorry to any organizers that are charging for that. <laughs> I guess. Uh, we'll like air out the dirty laundry, I guess. But, uh, no, I mean, I think that virtual events should be free. Like, you should lower that barrier to entry. Um, but we we still wanted it to feel like a normal conference. So we had giveaways that we sent out. We had swag boxes that we sent out to people. Hmm. Um, and that wasn't a, like, you paid for a ticket, then you got swag. It was, we had, like, I think it was up to a 1,000 things to send out to people. Wow. Um, and we did. Um and yeah, for a hundred percent free of charge, just because we wanted, we wanted it to feel like a normal conference. Like you got a t-shirt from your conference, you got some swag from the sponsors, you got a giveaway if you won one, like all that stuff. Um, and so that's kind of something that we've wanted to maintain, um, mm -hmm. throughout or as we go forward. Um, I don't think we sent out any swag to people last year unless they want to give away, but, um, that is something that we want to do again is like be able to send swag to people who you know sign up for a free virtual ticket and still have like specific virtual giveaways for people who can't make it um and like yeah and we have a discord server so that those people can ask speakers questions still like since they won't be in mm -hmm. person to be able to ask them um but like those are the kind of things that like i feel like really make a difference as far as like a virtual conference it's like Virtual conferences usually to me feel like, okay, I've got this on my side monitor while I'm working and I'm kind of like half paying attention to it. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's like, yeah, we're trying to make it to where it's like at least a little bit engaging. Um, and like, we're trying to find other ways to like 
make like make it to where the people who are in person are able to engage more easily with the people who are online. So it like kind of bridge that gap a little bit better. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think that's about the best way to move forward with conference yeah, organizing now. It, 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 that is one of the things that was really hard in the online thing was the live component. And I think, mm -hmm. you know, this has come up a lot in video. Um, you know, that we have YouTube, we have Twitch, I mean, we have other services, but like, let's take these as two examples. You know, YouTube con or audience participation is not really part of it. Yeah, there's YouTube comments, but a lot of creators try not to read them and most people try not to interact with them at all, <laughs> right? The video is, is everything. And I feel like a lot of conferences were kind of maybe stuck in, couldn't get out of that mode where mm -hmm. you're right. Once, once, um, once you get into that sort of that model, I don't have to watch the video now. I can come back and watch it later or not watch it at all or whatever. And it's, it's whatever. But on Twitch, like nobody watches Twitch VODs, like video on demand. They don't watch streams after the fact, like the value of watching a Twitch stream is in being there when it happens, being part of that swell. Even if you're not chatting, you're just, you're there. There's a, a sort of a feeling of being there. And I think exactly. that was what online was hard to create. But I think, and you get that sort of naturally by being in person. I mean, just being in the room with people, you just sort of have that. I might as well pay attention to this very dynamic sort of situation. I, I, I do still hope that there is a way to integrate the online audiences into that feeling. And maybe, maybe that will be more natural because if you have a chat room somehow that can engage, but if the event's just like happening, <laughs> you kind of want there to be a buzz and for there to be part of that conversation. And I think if, if, if conferences can find a way to foster that, that will be the secret growth hack because incorporating these people from all over the world, both speakers and attendees is amazing. I mean, that was the coolest Absolutely. part of online conferences um, and meetups. Yeah, I mean, like our first year online, I think we had like, something like 3000 people tune in like and for for us <laughs> like yeah. that's insane um yeah. it's it's amazing it's uh like and even the in 2021 when people were kind of like mm, sick of it you know mm -hmm. uh it was still i think we still had like 1500 or so people and that's like that's more people than we'll probably ever have in person um and like and we were able to like kind of share a little bit of Mississippi with them. And it, that, it, like I said, it was amazing. Um, and of course we had a little bit less, but we were still able to get like a few hundred people tuning into the stream this past year uh, that couldn't make it to the conference for whatever reason. Um, but yeah, that's, that's really something we're trying to focus on. It's not only like the in-person experience because we obviously want the in-person experience to be amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, and we're, you know, continuously trying to improve that. But yeah, like you said, I think that that is the secret growth hack is making virtual actually like a, a thing that people want to be a part of and like, yeah, feel like they have to be there in the moment. Yeah. And I, you, you want it to be exciting. Uh, exactly. You, you want people to feel like it's day one. 
I mean, like mm-hmm. there have been historically conferences that are like that. And I don't know if it's just I'm getting older or if it is that we have so many choices now that as a community, we have trouble getting sort of hyped up for any one event. But I know that historically there have been times in certain conferences that just for some reason got that buzz and everyone was like, oh, next week it's day one of whatever conf and can't wait to see what so-and-so says. And it's like, I feel like in, in the online age, that that sort of lessened a little bit because people yeah. at first were like, oh my gosh, I get to see all this stuff that I never saw. But then all of a sudden it became like, well, I can see anything now. <laughs> anything um, at any time, exactly. But then that meant we saw nothing. We yep. could see anything, so we all chose to see nothing. And, that, yep. and that's not what any of us wanted, but for some reason that's where we ended up. Uh, and I know I've talked to um, like Henri, uh, Henri mm-hmm. Aveco, who just is, is such an amazing just thinker as well as organizer. And I know he's done a ton of thinking around this, this issue. I, I, I don't know if we've come to any grand conclusions, but th- this is, it, it, it was the paradox. Of, of having the online thing. But I, I don't think the solution is to go back to walled garden live only events. I, I don't think we no. should ever go back there. And I, I honestly don't think it's good for speakers either. I think one of the coolest things about speaking at an event is when you can show someone like that, look at this video, that was me speaking at that event. I absolutely agree. And yeah, Henri is amazing. I just met him for the first time at React Miami. I'd never met him in person, but I've had conversations with him on Twitter before. Um, and yeah, we, we spent a while talking about just like conferences and like, yeah, I guess what, what we would need to do moving forward, because yeah, like you said, now it's, I feel like the kind of hallway track becomes more important. Now the experience of being there becomes more important because it's like, yeah, well, all the talks are online and I can just watch them whenever. So like, why do I need to be there? Um, And so, yeah, now we're kind of seeing this shift towards um, and like render ACL does this exceptionally well. Right. Is that like just building this hype um, of like, yeah, you're going to have FOMO if you don't be there. And it's not necessarily just the talks. It's Mm -hmm. the whole experience. Um, And yeah, I. I'm I'm super proud. I say this to him every time I see him. I feel like is that how proud I am of him? Like just taking render and like turning it into this whole thing. Like he asked me to speak at it in 2019 when he had the idea for it. And um, yeah, it's amazing. We we went to the same college. So we were uh, (laughs) both went to Mississippi state. So I've got a special connection. I feel like with Justin (laughs) because of that. Plus we were both speaking at Magnolia the first year. Yeah, I, you know, and I think what you make an interesting point, which is to say that, um, you know, like what Henri was saying, and what you see at, at Render, right, is he, I feel like people's reaction to this is, it, I've heard some people say like, oh, well, actually, the conference hack is to just not go to any talks, because the hallway track is so good, just don't go to talks, just only be in the hallway track. And I was like, well, Okay, <laughs> but that's, there's a healthy mix. Don't don't take the focus off of the hard work of the people that brought the presentations. I think that's where you want the hype to be. But definitely make sure you've created enough space throughout the day, not just a party at the end of each day, but like created spaces for people to have those um, those connections without feeling like they have to miss out on content. Yeah. Um, I went to NGConf in 2016, and one of the coolest memories I have was playing uh, foosball against 
um, some of the speakers with some of my work buddies. And, you know, they had this nice. huge game room where you could you could do that. And you didn't have to miss things to do it. They just they had gaps in the schedule during the day, which were sort of unscheduled. And I, you know, I think conferences will have to look that direction, too, which kind of puts more value on the live experience because you're not missing anything in the stream uh, as far as content. But at the same time, it's a reason to still pay and show up live. Absolutely. Yeah, that's like that is something that we consciously do is uh, schedule a lot of breaks throughout the day. Um, and like think, we, we haven't gotten any complaints about it, so it must not be too much. Uh, but it's like between every talk, we, like last year we did like five minutes between every talk and then between every like or every other talk or every third talk or something, we have like a longer like 10, 15 minute break. Um, and so, yeah, I feel like that kind of gave people enough time to either get up, stretch their legs, go to the bathroom, get some something to drink, get a snack, whatever. But it also gave people time to go like talk to the speakers or go talk to the sponsors or whatever. Um, and yeah, so that way they didn't feel like they had to miss out on the talks um, to be able to go network. They could have, they could just, you know, okay, after this talk's done in like 25 minutes, then go talk to whoever you want to talk to. Mm -hmm. And then we'll, you know, yeah, keep that balance up. But yeah, I think that's super important because there I've been to several conferences where, yeah, nobody went to any talks and they were just sitting out in the hallway the whole time talking to people. Um, yeah, and you know, I'm not going to tell you what you want to do with no. the conference you paid for if that's if that's what you're getting value out of. But you, you do. Know, yeah, exactly. You do whatever you want to do. <laughs> yeah. But still want to make sure that the speakers, I mean, they worked hard for those talks and uh, the, the, we wouldn't want a situation where nobody went to any of the talks except exactly. the speakers. That would be a little odd. Exactly. All right. Well, Let's pivot and talk about flight control. For those that were interested at the beginning, we're, we're not talking about air traffic control or anything like that. So for anybody that's not familiar, can you kind of give them an introduction into what flight control is? Yeah. So flight control just makes it easier to deploy to AWS. So you could use your own AWS account. We just kind of sit on top of it and streamline that process. Um, yeah. I like Brandon, one of the founders, says that like it's AWS, but awesome. Um, and I'm sure it would kind of be like air traffic control related if it, <laughs> if it were entirely up to him and we weren't like a software company because he's uh, really into planes and flying and stuff. But um, yeah, it's, it's deploying to AWS is a pain. Uh, and I know that from personal experience. And so, yeah. Well, I, I think it's funny because. Um, and I can relate to this a lot, like of, of all the different disciplines in development, I think DevOps and sort of uh, SRE stuff and just really all the parts where software meets hardware is uh, not my strong suit. Um, no. And not really a passion of mine, but I love the people for whom it is. Uh, but <laughs> you do have this sort of gap from where like the first time you use a service like a Netlify and it's like literally just drag and drop a folder onto this screen boom website and then on the furthest extreme you've got aws where the first time you log into the account you're like and what do i do you know there's hundreds <laughs> exactly. of services you can choose from and what even what do, do they do, do? <laughs> yeah there really isn't a good gradient there i mean you kind of have stuff like vercel and like i said netlify that kind of get you however far they get you and then from there it really is just bespoke um, and so I think a tool like this does have a lot of promise and is super interesting, at least to people like me who want to kind of take that next step towards moving towards, you know, being fully, um, 
you know, whatever, fully controlled, or maybe you never grow past this one, but just getting in the direction of what you need to do. Because to do these things wrong can be very costly. Just go on Twitter. You can find stories every day of someone that got a surprise $20,000 bill because they set something up wrong. You're playing with very real money on, on some of oh, these yeah. cloud providers. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I feel like that's been a huge thing lately. I've seen tons of people talking about that. Um on Twitter lately was just, yeah, oh, I got a $6,000 bill this month. And yeah, who knows why? Um, but yeah, I think that's that's the great thing about being on AWS is because usually it is cheaper. Um, but I won't say in every case it is. Like, mm -hmm. I feel like if you're just doing like a, if you're a front end person just doing your front end thing and you don't have like a whole full stack of an application, yeah, something like Vercel or Netlify is going to be like just just perfect for you for you to use because i mean that's what i use on my personal site is both netlify or use netlify on my personal site and Vercel on the magnolia site um and yeah those serve me very well because i don't mm -hmm. need anything more than that on either one of those um but yeah whenever you start getting into like having back-end services and stuff like that then then you have to start looking at i guess thinking thinking more about how you're going to host these things in the future, how you're going to serve them up, like how much that's going to cost. Um, but yeah, that's something that we're hoping to do is to make, make deploying to AWS much easier. Yeah, having like that Vercel Heroku style, just get push to your own AWS account. Um, and yeah, just make it less of a pain. So I know that you work on the front end for the for the tool for for people that haven't. I mean, you can go to the flight control website and they do have a nice short, like one minute long video, which kind of gives you the sense of what the solution is. Um, so the, the UI kind of walks you through both the onboarding process and then later the sort of the monitoring, which I think to me is also really cool because once you've been deployed in AWS, you tend to have services all over the place and it can sometimes be difficult if you don't have a specific um, observability tool or some sort of logging tool that kind of brings everything together, it can sometimes be a little obnoxious to poke around, okay, what's this status? Okay, what's this log? You know, this stuff. Having that all in one dashboard is really nice. But um, as I mentioned, you work on sort of the front end, but can you talk a little bit about the challenge of developing a front end around, I mean, I'm sure the feature set of the tools, but also such a broad thing as AWS, like, what are some of the challenges or trade-offs that you're having to tackle with regularly when you're trying to figure out both what to display and how to display it? Yeah, so for now, anyway, it's, uh, so we're completely redesigning the dashboard. Um, so we're gonna have like more, more of that like transparency into like how many services are being used. Like we'll have charts on there, all kinds of good stuff. Um, so yeah, you could go watch the video now, but just know it is going to be even better, uh, pretty soon. I don't know exactly when we're targeting to roll it out to everyone, but, um, yeah, it's, it's going to be amazing. But, uh, yeah, the biggest problem for me is that, yeah, coming from a very front end background and like the only time before I joined flight control, the only time I ever touched AWS was just to go in and try to get the artifacts in case something broke. Right. <laughs> like that was, that was it. Mm -hmm. Um, so for me anyway, like the big challenge has been just learning about everything that AWS does, all of the services, all of like 
okay, well, if I want to do a static site, which which thing do I need? Which product from AWS do I need? Um, and just like those kinds of things. Um, thankfully, the, a lot of the hardest parts, uh, Brandon, who's the CEO, and he designed the entire current application. Mm-hmm. Um, he did a lot of that hard stuff for me, <laughs> figured out how to design all that stuff for me because I joined uh, Flight Control at the end of January of this year. So I'm still fairly new. Um, but yeah, that's that's just been the most challenging part for me is just, okay, so we're doing this here. How does that connect to AWS? And what is AWS doing? And like, if something goes wrong along the line, what, what needs to happen? Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's gotta be tricky. Um, you know, I was talking to somebody before this, um, and sort of introducing them to the idea to kind of get pick, pick their brain, you know, what, what do you think about this tool and what kind of your thoughts are? And it is, you know, walking someone from a fully managed thing but dropping them off before you have to do it all yourself. Yeah. You really have a wide swath of personas of, of people that um, need something just beyond what the current tooling is able to give them all the way up to people that are almost ready to do it all themselves. Exactly. You, you know, that balance between how much flexibility will you offer someone versus how much comfort will you surround them in? I mean, that is, tricky i'm sure maybe most of the conversations on the team are just centered on that that's absolutely what it is because yeah we we want it to be incredibly easy for people who are coming from some something like vercel or netlify or heroku or whatever um to just like drop into flight control and be able to do whatever whatever you want easily but yeah also catering to those people who are like the power users i guess that like yeah, like you said, they're either almost ready to deploy everything to AWS themselves or they are ready, but they're they're having other people on the team manage stuff too and but they want still want to be able to tweak things on a low level um to get it just the way they like it. So, yeah, it's it's a it is a fine line to walk uh as far as like not overwhelming those people who don't need all that stuff, but also having all that stuff ready to tweak all those settings ready to tweak for people who do want to do that. Absolutely. And I I feel like one of the things that's interesting too, is this idea of the presets. So, um, you know, obviously with, with next you have Vercel, right? So those are a tightly coupled unit and maybe for some of the other ones that people might build between your remixes and your Gatsby's and your everything else, there are maybe natural pairings between those and some hosting service. And I like this idea that a, something like a flight control can come in and say, listen, if you're going to set up a, a, a full stack framework or a meta framework, you don't also have to be a hosting company. I mean, if you want to be, that's fine. <laughs> But exactly. I like this idea that you can step in and provide that value, which just sort of says, hey, are you doing an Astro project? Hey, are you doing a, a Remix project? Let's get that set up in AWS in a way that at least isn't going to cause you a lot of pain. Um, exactly. And derive it from there. And I think people might overlook something like that when they see the videos. But 
there's it's a lot of value for a lot of people that are just saying like listen i don't just have a spa or i don't just have a static site i i have a this in our kind of currently growing collection of meta frameworks and um i just want to figure out how to get that deployed well and maybe take some of that responsibility away from those teams because i know like Again, some of them are making their own companies, but before that, everyone's like, well, how do I do this on AWS? How do I do this on GCP? How do I do this on whatever? Um, and for those for those core teams, it's like, well, okay, here's an example of how to do it. But you know, I, I like this idea that you could step in and provide that value so that people can exactly. kind of maybe not have to do both. Yeah, and like I feel like before, it was like you just about had to hire somebody that knew how to do that, right? Like, because AWS is so complex. Um, and I mean, that's true for like GCP and things like that too uh that it's like you just about have to have somebody on the team or like contract with somebody that knows how to get all that stuff up and running and how to do it well um but yeah that's something that we're trying to like bridge that gap for people who maybe aren't ready or may never be ready to hire a devops person specifically can use flight control and do whatever they need to do um and of course yeah like you said there are natural like pairing or framework pairings with like a deployment provider, but we, and we do also have, have a framework, right? Like we maintain blitz, um, which is built on top of next. Uh, but it's like, you don't have to use blitz to be able to use flight control. It's not like mm-hmm. if you use blitz, that's going to be the easiest thing for you to deploy to flight control. Our goal is just to make, yeah, anything you want to use, any framework, whatever, just put it on flight control and we'll get it on AWS for you. Now, is that what the flight control rework is being done in? Are, are you able to share that or are you doing it in Blitz or? I don't know you... if we were doing it in Blitz yet. Um, okay. I, I want to say yes, because currently we have the system in Blitz and there's like, I, I've seen the benefit of having our current system in Blitz, so I can't imagine us moving it out of, out of that, mm-hmm. but yeah. Okay. Well, wonderful. Yeah, I, I think this is going to be you know, I think tools like this, I, I'm, I'm, I am excited to see, right? Um, I, I know I've talked with other people and on, on the podcast, we're going to have some conversations soon with people that are trying to, again, help people evolve beyond their role. So, you know, in, without, with, without uh, dumbing something down so much that it that it you know you're trying to say oh you'll you'll never get to that level of sophistication like i love this idea of tools that are both aids but also educational like they Mm -hmm. will grow and evolve as you grow and evolve but they will meet you where you are in your introductory stage stop you from falling in the biggest pits around you exactly and then as you grow you can kind of start poking at the edges controlling things yourself and you know, maybe eventually you mature beyond it, or, you know, maybe you never do, you just enjoy it. I I think we do need more tools like this as development gets bigger, as the community gets larger, as the amount of concerns any one app or any one team needs to be aware of gets bigger and bigger. Um, It's just tough to say that every development team needs to have DevOps expertise and accessibility expertise and design expertise and deployment expertise and security I mean, expertise. You, and, you, know, you see like, job descriptions like that already, right? Like we're, yeah. we're, we want 20 years to... of experience, junior, junior salary. Um, yeah. In every one of those categories, 20 years separately in every one of those <laughs> categories. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. 
Now, I know one of the things that you and I were talking about just before this, too, uh, is that um, on Twitter, you sort of have in your in your bio, uh, maybe in Blue Sky also. Are you on Blue Sky now? Yes, I am on Blue Sky now. I, I haven't gotten my invite quite yet, but I'm excited. Well, as soon as this they one give has the hype. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> But on your bio and Twitter, you, you talk as well about um, having ADHD. And, you know, this has been a topic that's come up a couple times on our podcast. Would you mind sharing a little bit about kind of how you found out about that? Yeah, yeah. So I got diagnosed with ADHD. Um, I think it was in 2021. So, like, yeah, almost two years ago now. Um, and, yeah, I I think it was like the first time I thought about it. Um, I don't know if you, if you know, Becca from, uh, virtual coffee, but oh, okay, yeah. he was, she was talking, she said something to me in an email one day and I was like, uh, about, and she'd been diagnosed with ADHD. She had talked about having ADHD at that point, And I was like, Hmm. Um, cause I always kind of just assumed that I had anxiety. Like mm-hmm. that, that's the, I feel like that's the standard, like, you know, assigned female at birth kind of from progression towards knowing you have ADHD is like, you just kind of assume you have anxiety along the way. And sometimes you might have actually been diagnosed with anxiety. Um, but that's when I started thinking about it was whenever she said that, but then my, so my brother was diagnosed with it when he was, I don't know how old he was, maybe six years old or something got diagnosed with ADHD and he's 16 now. Um, and so he's able to like, kind of talk with me about it now and talk about how he feels about certain things and um, stuff like that. So whenever I heard him talking about it, I was like, mm, maybe I should go get that checked out. Um, especially because it's like, I mean, it's a super high percentage like of likelihood if your sibling has ADHD, you probably yeah. have it too. Um, and so, yeah, I went in for my first psychiatrist appointment Um and she was like, well, I know you have it, but I have to get, give you all these tests anyway, just to be sure, I guess that's not something else. But she, like, I, I must have been talking to her for about 10 minutes. And she was like, yeah, you definitely do. But um, yeah, went went through, did some other tests anyway. And yeah, lo and behold, I had ADHD. <laughs> Yeah, because honestly, for that, and I think a lot of um, sort of conditions and, and things that people can have, I, I think a lot of misconceptions exist. And, oh, absolutely. Um, uh, and of course, you know, self-diagnosis is also really troublesome when it comes to sort of uh, mental conditions and things like that. But um, I remember my brother also had it. And uh, for a long time, I just didn't felt I didn't feel like I seemed the same way have the same kind of situations that he would get himself into. And so I said, exactly. Now it's not the same thing, but you start to learn more. And, you know, Twitter was great for this, like getting hooked into people that have ADHD on Twitter. And then they would write these things like how they relate to the world and the issues that they have. And I'm like, the amount of times I would take that and I would send it to my wife and I would say, I had no idea other people were like this. Yeah. I thought, I, was I thought I was just quirky. One. Like I thought that was weird. <laughs> yeah. There are, or or reverse. I can't believe there are people that don't think this way. Uh, yes, you mean that's not been a everybody big thinks me. this way. And I'm like, yes. what? I thought that was universal. And so it, it it has been so cool to learn about myself. And I think um, I, I've talked to other people that have been diagnosed with this. I know somebody that was just diagnosed with Asperger's. Um, and from all of them, the thing I hear most often is 
I feel like it's okay to be myself. Like I, I take away all the stigmatizing words, all of the I'm wrong for being this way or I'm weird for being this way. And now I'm just like very accepting. And yes. I think that is just so exciting. I think that's why I like tell people all the time. Uh, well, I mean, you know, counseling is great for everybody. Uh, oh, absolutely. Regardless. But, um, you know, to just take that effort to, you know, to get to know yourself. Uh, it's, it's not something to be uh, afraid of learning for sure. Exactly. Yeah. And it's like, I, like you said, it was no, the finding out that other people, I think that was another thing that led me to diagnosis too, was finding out that not everybody is like that. Like there are, there, especially before I got medicated, there were just days where it was like, my brain was going like a hundred different directions. And then there was just a constant like loop of 20 seconds of one song that would be like over and over again in my head. And it's like, you know, they would tell you, okay, go listen to that and only like pay attention to that song really closely. And then that'll go away. That didn't work. And like, <laughs> I would just have that constantly going all day in my head. And I was like, how are other people able to just deal with the constant noise in their brains and accomplish daily tasks. Uh, and it turned out uh, they didn't have that. So, <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's easy to get things done and, you know, be able to focus on tasks for long periods of time when it's, your brain isn't wanting to both just be going all the time and just be paying attention to everything all of the time. Yeah. The, the one that got me um, so much was that, uh, I had always had this negative belief that I was lazy because I couldn't get myself to like, just do this. You just have to write up this report. It's like one page, yep. just do it already. Like, yep. why did that take you four hours to do? Yeah. And, uh, but then if I got down to the day before a deadline or two days before a deadline, I, it was like a super, everyone knew like, Oh, look for Rob because he, all of a sudden that would snap me into focus and I would just start throwing out work, whatever it was, just, just tossing out. And I thought, well, this is just weird. I'm good in a crisis, I guess. And then I learned that actually that the stress hormones and the, and the chemicals that are released as you approach a deadline have the same ish effect as a lot of the types of stimulants that you would get to treat ADHD. So it has a similar effect on your brain. So you're like truly unlocking your highest potential at that moment. And again, yeah, it was just like one of those like parallax scenes in a movie, you know, when the main character is just like, like just having yep. that kind of out of body experience as everything just was like snapping into place in my brain of understanding. And it's just been a, it's been a fun year of of learning things about other people about myself and, and just bringing that into the conversation in a non-stigmatizing way it's just so cool exactly to just kind of hear how people process things i mean yeah. just, it's, it's really fascinating yeah and like you said so this is something i talk about with my therapist i feel like all the time is like and she'll bring up a lot is that yeah people get addicted to the stress because it Mm -hmm. releases that adrenaline and it's just like you know people who go out and like go skydiving or do other things that like increase their adrenaline it's like this is the same thing um and then it's also bad because it's like if you're used to being at a certain level of stress once you dip down below that then it's like then you get bored then you start mm -hmm. like you know thinking something's wrong and feeling like something's wrong because you're not like at this level of stress when it's just like, oh, that's where you should be. You shouldn't be so stressed out of your mind all the time. That's like causing you to get 
burned out, causing you to get like just exhausted all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, but <laughs> you also said you thought you were lazy, and that was definitely me um, because my dad also thought he was lazy, <laughs> and my dad didn't get diagnosed with ADHD before he passed, but. Uh, the, my favorite thing that he used to say was that he wasn't lazy. He was just born tired and hadn't got rested yet. Um, <laughs> and so like, that was like my mantra before uh, I got diagnosed with ADHD was that, uh, yeah, I wasn't lazy. I was just born tired and hadn't got rested yet. But yeah, it turned out I had just had ADHD and everything was just like extra hard for me to do. Just to, like overcome that mental hurdle to be able to initiate a task, to be able to like, follow through with a task um and stuff like that usually like social anxiety would push me forward so i was really good at school just to like because i didn't (laughs) i didn't like any of the like negative consequences that came with getting a bad grade or disappointing somebody right like um those were those were big drivers for me and i guess it was another reason why i thought i had anxiety was a, a lot yeah. of people don't get, I mean, that was the same with mine is because they said, oh, ADHD, did you have problems in school? No, I didn't have problems in school, but it was also because I was terrified of getting exactly any, any negative grades at all. So I, I, that was very focusing. The constant stress of tests was addicting in a lot of ways um, mm-hmm. and is still one of the best ways that I can do to learn um, is to put that pressure on myself instead of just yeah. relying on myself to read books and things like that. And you know, once you start to learn those things about yourself, you can start to ask people around you for accommodations. And accommodations, again, don't have to be excuses. And I'm sure you've encountered this. It can just be like, hey, you know, sometimes I really just need to be in flow because especially if it's a writing task, it might take me an hour and a half to get into it. Once I'm in it, I can stay in it for a long time and get a lot done. But God help me if you break that because then I have to spend two hours to get back into it. And so can I maybe shift some of my hours to be when some people aren't working or can I go early or can I, you know, do whatever? And, you know, you'd be surprised what people, especially now in this world where we're used to some remote working. I know nowadays it's it's a bit of a muddled topic as some companies are kind of forcing everybody back. But Mm. I strongly disagree with that. I have strong (laughs) remote work feelings. So (laughs) absolutely. But I think accommodations don't have to be um, excuses. It doesn't have to be asking for favors because really what you're offering somebody is saying, if you give me a little bit of what I need, you will love what you're about to get back. Yeah. You're going to get much better work out of me. Exactly. And like, and it could be even something as small as so like something that um, the other co-founder Mina as mentioned, uh, he's our CTO at Flight Control. Um, something he's mentioned to me is like, because, you know, sometimes it takes a minute for my brain to just kind of like process things. And like, if I'll, I'll have a, a gut feeling about something, but not know exactly what's wrong until like later. Um, and something that he mentioned uh, to me and something that I haven't practiced doing yet, but I should, um, is just like, yeah, whatever you're in a meeting and it's like, you do have like a negative, especially gut feeling about something, um, but you don't know how to articulate that yet. He was like, just ask, just say, hey, I need to step away for a few minutes. And like he said, just turn off your camera, go for a little walk, come back. Um, and then, yeah, if you need more time, just ask for more time. Say, you know, I have thoughts about this. Just I need a little while to kind of collect them and give them back. So it's a. Uh, 
yeah, it's even little things like that. And yeah, working on flight control has been amazing for me throughout learning about myself and all of this too, because it's like, they're so understanding, like the, the whole, the entire team is, um, and so supportive, just like, I mean, like I said, that was Mina telling me that in one of my one-on-ones and he'll tell me all the time, like either give me tips for things that like <laughs> might help me, um, or like sometimes he will tell me exactly what my therapist had told me that week. And it's a little like, am I in the twilight zone? Right. But <laughs> it's, uh, it's really cool to like, yeah, be working in such a supportive environment where it's like things that I'm working on in therapy. I can also work on at work and everybody's so supportive and, and everything. Yeah. And even again, you know, we've had this conversation a lot in the context of ADHD, but this can just also just be in styles, uh, you know, we did um, uh, at this dot in the leadership team, we did uh, strengths finders. Uh, and that's just kind of learning a little bit about how you like to operate, what what values you have, even just as a general sort of in your general life. And having those conversations amongst your team, uh, um, totally a, a major productivity hack. Once you start to understand who the people you're working with are and kind of what they respond to and 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 how you are differ, but also how you're the same, you start learning all sorts of cool ways about like, oh, I'm getting this weird signal from them. Oh, but remember, yada, yada. And then you're like, okay, mm -hmm. and then you can change it. It's, I think a lot of times people feel again, a little scared of doing that, because if you reveal too much, if too much vulnerability, you kind of can take an advantage of, or there's that fear. But you know, especially if you're a manager, if you can breed the type of trust um, and safety that for people to be able to have those conversations about both their strengths and weaknesses with each other, again, it can really make teams productive. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like management, something I'm trying to work towards, um, granted our team's not big enough to have a manager yet. So, you know, <laughs> but, uh, I, I'll, I'll do a plug for Sarah Drasner's, uh, mm. engineering management book. Cause it's incredible. And she talks a lot about values and stuff in there too so um yeah if you haven't read that definitely recommend giving it a read all right well very quickly we have arrived at the end here but i noticed that we didn't really do a full plug for magnolia and i know it's it's coming up in a few months so could you kind of let people know uh, where they can find it and when it's going to take place yeah, yeah. So you can find us on Twitter at MagnoliaJSComp um, or online. We're, we're on most platforms uh, just as MagnoliaJS um, or MagnoliaJSConf. But you can also find us on MagnoliaJS.com um, or MagnoliaJS.boo because we are having a Halloween-themed event this year. Um, show our little pumpkin logo. Um, so, yeah, it'll be October 17th and 18th this year. We'll have in Jackson, Mississippi at the um, Mississippi Museum of Art. Um, it's where we had it last year, and it's a really cool space. Uh, and you'll be able to tour the art museum while the conference is going on if you want to. Um, one thing you can always guarantee that we will have is amazing Southern food. So uh, if that's the only reason why you want to come, I understand. Or if the only reason why you want to come is for Kenneth LaFrance, our MC. I also understand because he is amazing. Um, but yeah, hope hope you can make it there. Um, it's going to be a fun one this year, especially having the Halloween-themed conference. We've got a lot of stuff planned. Um, our guest bedroom in this house is full of Halloween stuff now. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's, uh, 
we'll have more more things to be announced, more uh, details to be announced, more fun stuff as we get closer. Um, and we will start announcing speakers very soon. Um, but yeah, hope okay. you can be there. Make sure you wear a costume if you want and to. I, again, I would say <laughs> definitely look into it if you're interested. If you haven't picked a conference out for this year, this is definitely a great one. I, I'm not just saying it because Kayla's here. I know of many people that have gone in past years that have made plans to come again. And that's really all you need to know is when you oh, see yeah. prominent speakers and attendees and things like that saying that they will definitely be back in the future. You, you know, you got a good event. So. And I will say that early, I think we have early bird tickets still up, and I believe those are up through the end of June. So uh, tickets for both days, I think, if I'm not mistaken, is like $150. It might be $175. Um, but those tickets prices will go up to 200 after the end of June. So, yeah. All right. You heard it here first. Act quick. All right. Well, thank you, everybody. That's it for us today. Thank you for listening to this Modern Web Podcast. Thank you to our guest, Kayla. As always, we thank say the so conversation much. does not stop here. You can find Kayla on Twitter at underscore Kayla Sween. So that's underscore K-A-Y-L-A-S-W-E-E-N. Where can they find you on Blue Sky? Uh, Blue Sky, I'm at Kayla, K-A-Y-L-A dot O-O-O. Dot O-O-O. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at RoboCell. As for the podcast, you can find us online at moderndotweb.com or on Twitter at modern.web. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time. This podcast is sponsored by this.labs, a framework agnostic consultancy that specializes in JavaScript. You can find them at this.co slash labs. That's T-H-I-S-D-O-T dot C-O slash labs. For all of your